HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Italy, the Italian marketplace where you can eat, shop, and learn all things Italian food and drinks. For more information, visit Italy.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Butter, sugar, eggs, flour, mix them all together, and what have you got? We're going to be talking about cake today on A Taste of the Past. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And yes, cakes, the American cake. Well, cakes come from a lot of different countries, and American colonists just brought all those recipes with them and took off. They've taken off in such ways that I'm sure you can think of a particular favorite cake of yours. But you know we throw it all in the mixer or the blender, and presto, you get a cake, or you open a box of a mix, and presto, you get a cake. But think about it. Years ago, you'd have to churn the butter, mill the flour, chip the, the sugar, hard sugar, off of a loaf, and hope then that the hen had laid enough eggs, and then you needed an oven and some wood to light a fire. Wasn't all that easy, and yet... It was an act of love and a beautiful, delectable result. Cakes have been around, as I said, for a long time because the the settlers brought their, their recipes with them. In fact, cakes have been around since ancient history, and we'll hear about that too. My guest today... Anne Byrne has written a book called American Cake. So she moves on from that historic those historic roots, and takes off from the beginning of the colonists and the cakes that were made and for what reasons and and certainly what celebrations up until today. And it's just an astounding array of, as a, as, of sweetness and, and goodness. And I am so happy to have her here today to share that with us. Anne is the best-selling author of the Cake Mix Doctor cookbook series, 
and she was formerly a food editor at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and she's a graduate of La Varenne École de Cuisine in Paris. Anne, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you, Linda. Great to be here. Well, you know, it's, it is something that cakes, I mean, everyone has a favorite cake. You say cake, and I think automatically people, if they don't smile with their face, they smile in their mind, because <laughs> cake is, is just such a wonderful um, treat, and and I said, everyone has their favorite. And certainly given the political climate of these times, uh, there, there is a cake that came early in American history that we really do have to talk about. But before we get there, tell me a little bit about the early times and uh, the, 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 not the difficulties. Well, they were difficulties the way if we look at them now, but how cakes were made, what was used so from like the leavening to the agents to the sweeteners to, you know, to the ovens. Yeah, well, you said it well in your introduction. I mean, cakes are essentially butter, flour, sugar, and eggs. But when we think about it in a modern times, I mean, it's, it seems so simple, but you broke it down well, it wasn't easy. And the flour was usually locally milled. Uh, you either had it or you didn't. Uh, sugar was very expensive. You either used it because you could afford it, or you didn't use it, but you might have used molasses instead, which was a local sweetener, very American, very revolutionary. And like you, and and with eggs, yes, where the chicken, where the hens laying, most often then perhaps you know it was a warm climate in the cooler weather when you were baking cakes because the hens don't like to lay and didn't like to lay in cool weather, and. Um, and so really, you know, the components in butter, if you lived close to a farm, if you had a farm, if you were on a farm, you had access to butter. So those were the basics. Um, and then there was also the know-how to put them together. Right. Um, you know, you're right. People did bring recipes with them from their homeland. And the earliest cookbooks were collections of family recipes handed down from mother to daughter. Um, but you know it was and and those early cookbooks didn't have much method at all once they were printed. It was as if you were supposed to know how to put together a cake <laughs> right well, that's what I wanted to ask you. you I mean obviously, <laughs> I know um you did extensive research for this book, and it it, mm-hmm. it really is quite quite wonderful um, and I'm sure you looked at some old historic manuscript recipes um passed down. <laughs> uh, talk about measurements. you said the methods weren't very clear. What about yeah. measurements? Well, measurements were very were crude, um, and yet they were effective. Um, you know, butter the size of an egg, uh, liquids measured in gills. I think our, our historians, such as the late Karen Hess, did a beautiful job of sort of translating those old measurements for modern cooks today. And and, and now we've got the code, and we can unlock these these old cookbooks. But when it comes to the method, there is none. And one recipe in particular um, that I, I think was a really a, a wonderful find for this book was the water cake that's in the first chapter, Harriet Horry's Water Cake. So when I was looking through some old, old manuscripts of cookbooks from South Carolina, I, you know, I saw this recipe in a diary called a water cake, and I had never heard of anything called a water cake, and so I read on. And I, and I knew from the ingredients listed it was a sponge cake. And I knew what they were doing was really dissolving uh, the, the sugar in water. And so what they would do, they would keep water at the back of, you know, the wood-fired stove to keep it hot or keep it on the hearth hot, and they would use that hot water to dissolve the sugar. And then they would use that sugar syrup in making a very simple 
English-inspired sponge cake. Mm. So, but they called it water cake. And if you didn't have the know-how to know how to do that, you wouldn't have been able to make that cake. Plus, sugar was not sold. It was not granulated then. It was sold in, like you said, in cones or chunks. Um, and that was the only way to really make it usable for cake baking was to dissolve it. That's right. Uh, and then you mentioned, of course, other sweeteners they would have used. Molasses, right. Um, and then, uh, or honey, if they had, you know, a hive yes. and they got some honey, right? Yes, and then later, um, sorghum. After the Civil War, sorghum sort of, you know, was the sweetener of the South because there was no sugar production, and sorghum had um, cane had been had been grown, and it was found to be a sweetener, and it ended up being a sweetener that was used in the South out of desperation. So it was. It's really the sweet, just the sweeteners alone. I think in the story of cake are fascinating, especially molasses. I, you know, molasses was really emblematic of of so many people who did not want to buy white sugar because they considered white sugar slave sugar. Right. So, so, and the abolitionists, the Quakers, they all baked with molasses. And those early cakes that were made with molasses, to me, they evoked really the new American cake at that time because they they uh, turned their back on British treacle. They would not use it in those homeland recipes, and they used their new molasses instead. That's right. Interesting. What, and leaveners, let's say leavening agents, I mean, egg whites, of course, you know, being the the, the available and natural, but what um, what were they doing for leavening agents for some of the other cakes later on? Right. Well, the earliest cakes didn't usually use them. If you look at a pound cake, your leavening comes from um, in cr- the creaming of the butter and the sugar and then adding your of course, room temperature eggs one at a time so that you can get the most volume in your batter. Uh, so early, And the same sort of method with a fruitcake. Um, egg whites were whipped, so the, really the earliest leavening was no leavening. And then when, you know, someone discovered that uh, ashes from wood uh, that was used in cleaning and making soap um, in the early colonies could actually be added to batters, bread batters, cake batters, and make the batter rise, that was an epiphany. And that and that was potash, or later called pearl ash, and so that was the late 1700s. Um, and those that was the leavening in these first gingerbreads that you found in um, Amelia Simmons' book, which was the first American cookbook called American Cookery, 1796. Those gingerbreads were leavened by pearl ash. And the problem with pearl ash was it was very bitter, but with all the spice that was in the gingerbread, <laughs> um, you couldn't taste the bitterness. And so if you look back at old recipes that contained pearl ash, they had a whole lot of spice in them. Right. Well, yeah. you, and you talk about gingerbread um, in the book and um, interesting little anecdotes about um, the sailors eating the gingerbread before they would get on a ship. Yes, ginger ginger has always been a stomach settler, right, and I think it, right. many of us know that just from drinking a ginger ale or whatever, if you're feeling a little bit queasy. But ginger has always uh, has been long prized, and it was a medicine before it was a cooking ingredient. So yes, gingerbread was sold probably more like um, like like a hard gingerbread cookie was sold on the docks for for sailors to purchase before they went out to sea. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So what did a lot of the early cakes? Look like and taste. Mm. Well, they were they were smaller than our cakes of today, or maybe actually our cakes of today are sort of coming back, circling back around, and becoming more like early American cakes in that we are baking um, 
less, smaller. Um, so the fir- because the first ovens were wood fired and there wasn't a lot of room in them for baking, so they were small cakes. They were baked on the floor of the oven. Um, pans, I mean, you might have had a pan, um, a pan to bake a gingerbread in. It may have been baked in a skillet. Um, Really, you didn't have a lot of variety. In fact, that's how the name, uh, the the Boston cream pie, was named because it was baked originally in a pie pan. Yeah. So hey, that's pie, always the cake, question: is, is it? it a, yeah, know? is it a pie? Is it a cake? Is it a pudding? It, what is it? <laughs> that's right. So they were really very, very simple cakes. They were small. You know, they, to our standards today, you know, they might have seemed fairly ho hum. Um, but I tell you, they were delicious. And the recipes in the first chapter of the Moravian sugar cake is a wonderful yeast coffee cake that, you know, has mashed potatoes in it, stays moist. You know, it's a great one to make uh, during the holidays. And that Francis Tavern carrot tea cake, which is, is a fabulous cake. I was just was- going to mention that, that Francis Tavern baked a special cake for George Washington, right, when, when the British finally evacuated the, uh, the, the shores. Yes. Um, and it was sweetened with cooked carrots. Right? Yes, and carrots were long used. You know, we think of carrot cake as sort of a favorite of our, you know, of the from the 1970s on. But carrots were, were used in Europe as a natural sweetener. People found by cooking carrots down, it sweetened them. And they were used in cakes and, and pies and, and, and confections for their sweetness. So that's, that's kind of ages old. I think it's really interesting, this recipe. I did take this recipe um, that had been printed before in a couple of cookbooks, but I made it more true to its day. I think in modern cookbooks, books, this recipe had, had used vegetable oil, which would have not been around. Right. <laughs> um, but at, And I did kind of turn it back into what it, w- it was originally, which was a pound cake with um, carrots added. Right. Well, now, um, I'm, I made reference to a special cake at the top of the show. And, mm-hmm. of course, it was often one of the largest cakes ever baked. And this would be the election cake or the Martha Washington cake. Right. Right. Can you yes. talk, talk to us about that a little bit? Well, I, I love the election cakes, and they, they were the, the fruit cakes. Um, they, you know, they were fruit cakes that came, the recipes probably came from England, but the whole tradition of election cakes centered around the fact that people would travel for miles to come to towns in New England and vote. And the election did not take place on one day in November. It took, pay, it took place throughout the year. So... And there were holidays in two states, actually Connecticut and Rhode Island, were able to vote for their own governors. And so the election process was really important to them and highly celebratory. And they were, these election days were holidays. They were Puritan holidays. Mm. Um, and so people would bake for them. There would be great feasts. Uh, there would be a lot of drinking. There would be huge cakes to feed the entire town and often a sermon that was, you know, um, shared first before the meal began. Well, um, it's and and often I, I have read where often that this would be um, a huge cake that would you would need a huge uh, deck oven. I don't know what they would what they use then to bake it, but they are very large. I've seen them, you know, like almost you know, two and a half feet long. 
And they're they're and massive, and they yeah. had to have been baked by, you know, someone who was baking for the town. It had to have been one of the earliest bakeries. A big commercial uh, oven. A big com- Yes, exactly. You know, the recipe I share for the Martha Washington Great Cake, I, gr- I greatly scaled down to a one loaf size for today's, um, today's ovens and today's families. Um, but this recipe is a Mount Vernon recipe. Um, that is a true Washington recipe. Um, and that the the you know the researchers at Mount Vernon had scaled down also. Right. It's a wonderful way to to sample a great cake because it uses currants and white wine. So it would have been a really lovely um, example of a of a great cake. Um, not too many different fruits like I think we've added to fruit cakes through the years, but just the currants and the white wine. Sugar, it, it is it is quite flour. and I've eaten it. It is quite delicious. You mentioned um, you've. Uh, quoted Stephen Schmidt in the book um, mm-hmm. who's done so much research on manuscripts and and cakes and he actually baked one that um, I tasted and was wonderful. Oh, <laughs> so, wonderful, yeah. Was he knows so much about, yes. um, really about the election day process and about election cakes. That's right. Um, so we were, a lot of these um, cakes ha- were, of course, as you, as you mentioned, they were transformed mm-hmm. with what they had when they got to this country, but of course they were English and Dutch and German, and, which is where we get the word cake as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that they all have in common, and that is, and and you mentioned it again for the election, they they really resonate with celebrations. They do. And, yeah, they cakes, do. cakes are C- celebrations. They very much so more more so than pies. If you're going to compare the two, cakes are celebratory. I mean, they're in the case of the George Washington cake, that was a homecoming. You know, he was he was coming home. The Martha Washington great cake was baked for George Washington coming home. Um, wedding cakes, funeral cakes, election cakes, grand events, world's fairs. Um, Military banquets, the the um, Mary Todd Lincoln almond cake um, was is a lovely white almond pound cake, and it was baked. Suppose the story goes that Mary Todd baked it for Abraham Lincoln when they were courting, and after Lincoln was assassinated, this became the cake that was baked at military banquets to honor Lincoln. Huh? Yeah, it's interesting. In reading that, um, you gave. Uh reference it to a couple of different stories where women in um, when the influx of, of immigrants came, women would bake and bake cakes, especially for those who were courting them. So <laughs> I kept thinking of that, that song, can she bake a cherry pie, Billy boy? <laughs> can she bake a, can, can she, she bake, bake an, an almond, almond cake? cake right? <laughs> uh, I think that was terrific. Um, well, I want to talk more about cakes and as they come into our present day, but before we do that, we're going to take a short break. So stay with us. Buongiorno amici dell'Italia, got all that, if not come to Italy, the only place you can eat, shop, learn everything Italian food and drink. Come inside to eat at one of the many restaurants such as Italy Seafood, Vegetable or Pizza and Pasta Restaurant. We also have a quick and delicious panini you can take to go. 
Then you can shop around the grocery and retail market for fresh pasta, house-made bread and high-quality cheeses from Italy and the US. Italy is also a place to learn. As a student in La Scuola di Italy, you can learn about making fresh pasta, Italian dessert, pairing wine and cheese and more. And you must try Italy's homemade gelato. So what are you waiting for? Visit us in New York City or Chicago, soon in Boston and Los Angeles or Italy.com. Ciao amici! Hi, we're back on A Taste of the Past, and I'm talking with Anne Byrne. And Anne, um, one thing that you, um, we mentioned before how ancient some of the cakes, I mentioned actually that some of the cakes have been around since ancient times, and that I wanted you to make uh, mention of, and that would be a cheesecake, right? Yes, one of the oldest cakes. Yes, and, and there were two. I've got two recipes in the book for cheesecake. One, which is a really old recipe, which would have been similar to what the Quaker dairy farmers would have made in Pennsylvania, uh, using fresh curds uh, in their cheesecake. Uh, and to make this cheesecake today, you can use ricotta cheese, which is a really nice uh, substitute for it. And it was flavored um, with, with currants, as they were, and a little bit of nutmeg. And then I've, got, of course, got the New York-style cheesecake, which really came about uh, when cream cheese was produced in America, and really half of the Jew- half of the Jewish population in the United States was in the New York City area. And this was a huge industry, and this. New York cheesecake evolved out of um, out of a recipe contest. Interesting, and those recipe contests entered heavily in lots of of the cakes that came about too. Mm-hmm. Especially, there, yes, the pineapple upside down cake is another one that's a recipe contest, <laughs> um, and that people were making a pineapple upside down cakes. They called them skillet cakes. As I, as I said before, you know, you, you didn't have necessarily a cake pan, but you had an iron skillet, and so you could pour cake batter in it put the fruit on the bottom, flip it over, and you had an upside-down skillet cake. And I think of, of in the 1920s, Dole's uh, uh, hosted a recipe contest, and the majority of the recipes came in were for pineapple skillet cakes. Mm-hmm. And that's a great cake that came out of the 1920s. And then a lot of other cakes that gained in popularity around the country, they those recipes would just travel around and eventually get printed on you know, as you said, the side of a of a like the can of fruit or on the back of a you know a, a yes. bar of chocolate or something, and and also a Sears catalog. Ah. Um, you know, Sears catalog was one of the wor- one of the first ways for people to find out about foods that were baked in other parts of the country. Um, the first some of the first mentions of the word brownie were found in early Sears catalogs. Uh, the one that caught my eye was the Delta cake, the the Mississippi yeah. using the Mississippi cane. Um, syrup, but basically, it's a caramel cake. Uh, yes. People call it Delta cake or a caramel cake, right? Yes. And that's, it is, home, yeah, home to the Delta. I mean, I think that cake is loved throughout the South, and everybody loves caramel cake, but really it is religious in the Delta area. And so <laughs> I, I tried to find out why. What was it about the Delta cake that was so important to Mississippi? And there were two things, the, pro, the proximity, the availability of sugar, and I do believe the knowledge of caramelizing sugar that came up into the Delta region of Mississippi from New Orleans. And the Creole cooks who had that deft hand at caramelizing white sugar in cast iron 
and knew how to do it. That method came up into Mississippi, and people were c- turning those early candies into 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 icings and frostings. And then the other part, which is more sort of a social, interesting, cultural uh, connection, is that um, Delta cooks like the fact that the caramel cake is difficult to make, <laughs> and they like to complain about it and tell their guests and anyone they're baking it for that they went to a whole lot of trouble. <laughs> and truly, and they truly are delicious. I, yes, they are I delicious. Uh, and you know, you mentioned that um, it comes up from from. Uh, Mississippi and the Creole cooks, but and mm-hmm. the African American population actually um, contributed a lot to the baking of cakes as well. And I'm thinking of uh, things that would come from the islands and coconuts and the coconut cake. Yes, very uh, much so. That yeah, that that would not have been possible without the creativity and the hard work of the African American cooks right. because that is a labor intensive cake. Yeah. Um and you mentioned religious how the cake was was very religious in the delta. I mean you don't mess with my don't mess with my caramel cake. <laughs> but there is one that was was indeed truly religious called the scripture cake. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, the scripture cake is a, is an interesting cake. It's it's probably um Similar to a cake that a lot of people have been have made, and and maybe you've you've uh, the recipe has been shared, and you know in Sunday school classes or in churches through the years, but all of the ingredients in the scripture cake have reference to scripture from the Bible. So it was you know it was an early way to sort of get the message out and to get people. I don't know, that connection between religious holidays and religion to to baking. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of things came around to sort of change the way cakes were baked or the types of cakes that were baked. And a couple of things I'm thinking of are you know, the, uh, the arrival of shortening and mm-hmm. um, certainly different types of pans. What in particular do you feel um, kind of changed cake culture a little bit anything that you can think of yes i think what really changed it were some key inventions like you mentioned shortening um and also baking powder Uh um i think also what changed cake culture were things that we had no control of which were just um events cultural events in our country that were happening and we were affected by whether that was, um, and that, the chapter that I call the good times and the, and the, and the bad times, mm-hmm. the hard times, you know, the world wars, the depression. I think some of, some of America's most interesting cakes have kind of come out of the 1930s and 40s when people really had to dig deep and um, bake with little and make something out of it. Right. Uh, the applesauce cake was a World War One recipe. Yeah. Using and substitutions, it, right? I mean, it was you know. all substitutions yeah. and, you know, giving up for the troops. I think it's fascinating to read about those cakes. And if you really, if you really think about patriotic cakes in America, you can, you can say that, you know, America has been baking through the years in a very patriotic way, not only election cakes, but also cakes with other people in mind. Hmm. Uh, well, as we talked about celebrations and, and yeah. other things. Yeah. What about the layer cake? That seems to be like a, a real American thing, the big, tall, multi-layered cake with filling in between. When did that really, the layer cakes that we know of as birthday cakes, when did, when did that come about? 
that came about after baking powder. Mm-hmm. Um, really, baking baking powder was first made in England in 1840s. It came to uh, America about ten years later. Royal baking powder, I believe, was the first manufacturer. You know, so the late 1800s, people were starting to bake with baking powder, and they found that the cakes were lighter, and they could make more layers, and they could bake them more often. Hmm. It wasn't as such. It wasn't as labor intensive of a process. So that's where you see uh, the Lady Baltimore cakes, uh, the one, two, three, four cakes kind of come. And then with the turn of the century, um, you know, with the Fanny Farmer influence on standardizing measures, um, the the uh, the introduction of chocolate into baking, right? Um, right. That we can really credit those early cooking schools and the early chocolate companies. Um, that's when you start to see. That yellow cake with chocolate frosting mm. emerge, mm-hmm. and um, it, it really wasn't until and then not to mention the wars again. But when you know having the availability of sugar, having baking powder made layer cakes possible because you could make layers. You could create this wonderful seven-minute frosting with egg whites and sugar. But once you know, once hard times crept in, cakes became smaller. Cakes were not often frosted. They were left unfrosted because there wasn't sugar. Mm-hmm. And there were what they call sugar-shy cakes. And so our our perception of the American cake changed. I don't think it's – I think that what, it ha- what happened then as a result of that is that we have a much broader definition of what an American cake is. And it is also a tort that could be baked in a – in a spring form pan and not be iced. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be made in a 9 by 13 pan, like a lazy daisy cake, right. which is like. Um, so there's so many different, I think, interpretations of American right. cake. Or sheet cake. Or, or when, when I was, when I mentioned the layer cakes, and I thought, well, of course, one of the first layer cake, well, not the way we think of layer cake, but the mm-hmm. Appalachia stack cake. Yes, those were the original, you're right. And they were baked in the castor and skillet, and that was the original wedding cake in Appalachia. So they would, uh, families would bake one layer. You, uh, you would bring it to the wedding, preferably the day before, because when you put that wonderful, um, apple filling in between the layers, it would have time to soak into the spice cakes. Uh, and it was, the Appalachian layer cake was the, was the first wedding cake in that area. Huh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then of course, uh, there came, oh, I don't know when, maybe you can put a date to this, but the coffee cake culture for the coffee mm-hmm. clutch. What? Yeah, two, two different waves of that. The original, the original wave of, of uh, coffee cakes was um, early 1900s. Um, I really credit the settlement house, uh, house, houses and then the settlement house cookbooks, uh, which came out of Milwaukee and also Portland. These were charity um, charities run by um, Jewish women in those communities, and they helped the newcomers, the immigrants, the Eastern Europeans, come into those cities, learn how to cook with our ingredients, learn American history, learn how to speak English, and appreciate music. And so they raised monies to support these houses, settlement houses, uh, by putting together cookbooks. And that is some of the first mentions of coffee cakes. And those are Eastern European recipes. They often have prunes and plums and spices. They often have coffee in them. Um, And then I think the second wave of coffee cakes, 
I like to say, kind of came about as a result of sort of the 1970s, the early 1970s, the Moosewood, um, Molly Katzen mm-hmm. era, sort of the revival of the, of the carrot cake and the coffee cake. The vegetable oil cakes mm-hmm. um, that came about then. Wonderful. Right. Sour cream. It's just a, a wonderful culture of, of um, a, a reason to come together. And yes, to, yes, very much so. Talk. And it's yeah. very European, and it's also very Scandinavian. And it is, um, it is, it is what linked new cultures in America and uh-huh. kept people. It was a coffee hour. It was a time to socialize. Right. Uh, there are so many, so many different types of cakes, and, and many of them... Um, is that everyone has a favorite. Many of them have sort of held their popularity. Some have fallen out of fashion and then come back in fashion. And and um, I'm kind of thinking like the red velvet cake. Hmm. I sort of didn't hear about that for a lot of years. And all of a sudden it came back with a vengeance and it's super popular. Um, anything else, you could, any other cakes you can think of like that that sort of were very popular or uh, fell out of fashion and came back in fashion? Well, I think I think we just mentioned one coffee cakes. I think they're coming cakes, back. Yeah. I think you're on the you're on the cusp of something here. Um, yeah. I think they're definitely coming back. Um, you know, German chocolate has, has sort of been out of favor. I'm waiting for its resurgence. I think it's a wonderful cake. Um, you know, I was surprised to find out too that it was so late coming. I didn't yeah. realize it was so recent. Can you tell us tell us a little about that? German chocolate cake is a pioneer cake. Really, it came out of Oklahoma and Texas. And if you look at the ingredients in the frosting, which is always the way you can sort of learn the story of a recipe, is to look at the ingredients and ask yourself questions. And it contains evaporated milk. And evaporated milk was was used in America in, you know, frontier areas, barrier islands, Hawaii, places where there wasn't a lot of refrigeration. People became, you know, very comfortable using evaporated milk, and it, it was a part of their recipes. And so you cannot make that German chocolate uh, filling frosting without evaporated milk. Um, so, and it, and it really came out of Oklahoma as a recipe that was shared uh, from a daughter to a mother who was writing a, a cooking column in Texas. And then um, home demonstration agents in Texas began sharing that recipe across the state, and then it was picked up in the Dallas Morning News. And, um, and, the the germ- and it wasn't German at all, right? It was not, but it contained German's sweet chocolate. Right. So nothing German about it. The pecans that were used in the frosting were a crop in, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and also, you know, in the warm parts of the South. Excellent. Oh, very interesting. Uh, then, of course, there was the advent of the boxed mixes, and you know a lot about that. And yes. I mentioned in the beginning of the show, and um, her previous books were The Cake Mix Doctor. Well, wonderful idea. You would doctor up a box mix cake, right, and, and make it something special. What kind of impact did that have on our cakes? I think it had a huge impact. Um, I don't think it's been a necessarily a good one because I think people have gotten um, away from the scratch cakes, which is a lot of the reason I wanted to write this book, was to <clears throat> refresh everybody's memory on the great American cakes that were here first and the stories behind them. Um, I think definitely cake mix appeals to people who are in a hurry. And cake mixes are a lot better today than they used to be. But they, you know, it's an uh, the process for uh, creating the first cake mixes was was going on um, before World War II. Um, cake mixes were actually, um, you know, fed to the troops in World War II. And so after the war, they were ready to roll out. And it really wasn't until the cake mix manufacturer 
how to add, um, that you could add your own eggs to the mix that they became popular. Mm. I, I would always kind of chuckle because by the time you added the the oil and added the eggs and added the whatever liquid, you might as well have made it from scratch. I mean, it was, Definitely. Wasn't a- but I think a lot of it has to do with how um, wh- how you learn to bake. Mm-hmm. In, in, in our history, you know, young women would learn to bake by the other women in the house. And um, and that's not necessarily true anymore. And so it, it, I think in the 1980s, with the proliferation of cooking schools across the country, there was a lot of interest in American cooking and teaching other people how to bake and how to cook. But that's not here so much anymore. And the self you know, it's more self instruction and learning from YouTube and and trying to teach yourself. And that's that's not as easy as having somebody help you along. That's right. Well, what, in your opinion, is one of the greatest American, oh, that's, that's, that's a tough question, <laughs> the greatest American cakes, or maybe the, the American cake that has had the most staying power. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you don't really well, have to yeah, give an answer. Staying power, I think a lot of that has to do with, with the times, but yeah. I think that the cake that probably is the most American is the chiffon cake, and we haven't mentioned oh, that. No. And that came out of the 20s, and that was a cake that uses vegetable oil in it. Mm. And, you know, it, it, it brought together all of the good, the good things from pancakes, and it added the convenience and the moistness of, of using vegetable oil. And that it was designed by, um, created by a man named Harry Baker, who was a traveling salesman. He moved to Hollywood, and he started baking cakes for the Brown Derby and other restaurants in Hollywood um, out of his apartment kitchen. And he kept all the secrets sort of hidden as to what went into his fabulous cakes. And he actually would carefully take out his garbage so nobody would, you know, would get too curious as to what he was using. And later, um, he ended up selling the formula for the chiffon cake to, um, to General Mills. Wow. That's... So, but, but it's the basis. It, it became sort of the catalyst for other, you know, the carrot cake, other more modern cakes, the hummingbird cake, the Italian cream cake, the use of vegetable oil in a cake. Um, and it also can still, it has beaten egg whites folded in. So you get a really lovely, high, moist cake, tall like an angel food, but, but rich and dense like a pancake. Right. It's a great cake. Yeah. And then, of course, along with cake, there's a whole other chapter or book that can be written on frostings and icings. I mean, they've changed throughout the years, too. From as you said, from none to to a lot, and you brought up the seven minute, um, uh, the seven minute frosting, the seven minute icing, and that mm-hmm. was a boiled icing, right? I I don't. Do many people make that anymore? Not so much anymore. Yeah. And I've got two recipes uh, for it in the book, and I laugh and also say it's not a true seven minute. <laughs> you, <laughs> right. you better allow a little bit extra time for that. Um, but there are two versions: the seven minute, which is a lovely but a little temperamental, and it tends to sort of you know you, you can't let the cake sit out; it tends to weep. And then I've got the second recipe, which is a boiled white icing, and the method is a little bit different. But it is a recipe that's used a lot by caterers. Um, bakeries, because it is the, it's, this is the fluffy white frosting that it, that will that will stay at room temperature, and it's just sugar, water, cream of tartar, egg whites, and 
little bit of salt. That's it. Yeah. It would be actually sometimes an icing that someone would go to if they didn't have confectioner's sugar in the house. They say, oh, what am I going to do? Well, you're going to have to cook your icing. <laughs> that's right. And people will love it as right. a result. You right. know, the mahogany cake recipe that's in the book is a great example of an early chocolate cake, very pale in color, but covered with that boiled seven-minute frosting. Wow. Yeah. There are so many wonderful cakes, and um, you've got this book is packed with history as well as delectable recipes, a lot of recipes. If I were to pick one, I, I don't know. Oh, I mean, the, as you said, the carrot cake has you know been around for a long time and, and always comes in and, and has very strong staying power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it looks awfully delicious. I, I, I just... It's tough. You know, for some some of my other little favorites are the James Beard Huckleberry Cake. Oh, yeah. It's a little easy one-pan cake that you can make with, with blueberries, huckleberries, whatever's in season, whatever fresh fruit. And then I also love Lindsay Shears, um, the Chez Panisse Almond Cake, and the history behind that cake. It's very easy. It's perfect for dinner parties. It's just a quick little cake that's got almond paste and butter and flour and sugar and eggs and bam done. <laughs> That's great. That's what we love. Well, you know, one thing I, I wanted to talk about, um, because we were talking about cake mixes, uh, how big business got into the game, and yet uh, it gave way to a lot of our um, recipes that have, stu- that have stuck around. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of the Pillsbury Bake Offs. Mm-hmm. And oh my goodness, the cakes and, and confections that came out of that. And I'm thinking, of course, of in the 60s of the Tunnel of Fudge. 1966. And that was the wow. second place winner. So wow. It's a good lesson on coming in second often has its rewards. But that was that was the cake that launched the bump pan. So that's when the bump pan came around. That, that's yeah. I mean, it had been around before. Nordicware um, in Minnesota had been producing it primarily for uh, Scandinavian cooks and I think some other Eastern European cooks who were trying to bake a cake in a type size pan, like a turban Kugelhof type pan yeah. that was used yeah. a lot in in Europe. And they started. They created this for them, but it had very small sales. Hmm. And then, of course, the angel food cakes. Um, had a, you know the, the pans would have a hole in the center and you could uh-huh. put them upside down afterwards, but not still not the same as the bunt pan. That was that was very special, very was, decorative, and no one had ever seen it before. Huh. Yes, and told you exactly where to slice the, a piece of cake too. That's true. <laughs> as the ridges around right. the top, right, right? Get out those bunt pans and start baking. There are a <laughs> ton of wonderful recipes in this book, and uh, but I warn you too. Don't read it when you're hungry. I mean, you will you will definitely have to run and find a piece of cake to eat because this is a delicious a delicious book and the history in it. You, I commend you on all these wonderful facts and and um, historical items that you include. You Thank really you. you really did your research on this one. No, it's it's terrific. Thank you, Linda. It was a, it was a couple of years. Yeah, I'll bet. it was yeah. yeah a lot of fun. Right from cake mixes to the the ultimate in the american cakes <laughs> you've really you've really covered the uh, the gamut um and i thank you so much for joining me today and sharing all these wonderful uh, facts about the american cake again it's ann byrne and her new book is called simply american cake and i encourage you to uh, to take a look at it and join us again when we bring you more tastes of the past Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.